Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. We're talking this morning about Micah. And in talking about Micah, I mentioned free will offerings, which of course is what the problem was in Micah, that at that particular time, the the people were following a different way than they were meant to follow by God. They were to take care of one another, love one another, as Moses said, as Jesus says, John the Baptist was explaining. And they were to do this by free will offerings, by charity, what Paul calls charity and Jesus calls love. They actually both called it the same thing, but the translators like to translate that word charity when Paul uses it and love when Christ uses it. Although occasionally they do it both ways. But uh, the reality is is that you, if you're not going to take care of the needy of your society through charity and decide to take care of the needy of society through force, then you yourself will go into bondage. You will be subject to the way in which you judge what is right and what is evil, what is good and what is not good. And that's just built into nature. It's been a part of nature for a long time, since the days of Cain. That uh, Cain, Nimrod, they all offered benefits to the people, but gained authority over the people. And with that authority, they gain control over the people. And if you want the benefits of men who exercise authority, then they will end up exercising authority over you. You will become merchandise, and your children will become merchandise, and your children will be cursed by any debts that you create under such a system. Done deal. Done deal while millions upon millions of people are going to church. They return to the bondage of Egypt. We have lots of articles explaining what the bondage of Egypt is. It should be just basic common knowledge to everybody who claims to be a Christian. The bondage of Egypt was that you were under the authority of Pharaoh. I mean, you could be a farmer or you could be a bricklayer or you could be a brickmaker or whatever, but a portion of your labor, 20% of your labor belonged to the Pharaoh. That was the bondage of Egypt. It's a core V system, a statutory bondage. A portion of your labor, the value of that labor, didn't go to you. It went to the government. And of course, it supposedly went to the government in order to provide welfare for people during times of famine, when there just isn't enough food, there isn't enough whatever. And uh, John the Baptist said, no, take care of one another through charity. Paul said to do it through charity. Jesus said to do it through charity, although they translated to love. Moses said do it through charity. Like I said this morning, Leviticus, what is it, 19.18, says that uh, it's supposed to be free will offerings. That's how you're supposed to take care of the needy of society. And originally Moses set up the Levites to kind of manage that system where they serve the tents of the congregation, the individual tents of the congregation. All, all the Levites, which is, you know, like one-twelfth of Israel, 
weren't maintaining a single tent. <laughs> you know, the tabernacle, when it says tents of the congregation, they weren't serving just the tabernacle. They were serving all the tents of the congregation. And, of course, that's what it says, the tabernacles of the congregation, which is every man's home. Of course, you have to remember the altars of clay were the gatherings of families. And we talked about that this morning. Micah talks about hills. Well, hills are just piled up dirt. Mountains are just more piled up dirt. Although, mountains will include some dirt and some rocks. And that, of course, an altar is nothing more than piled up rocks. But we also know from Sacrifice to Sophistry, which is a, a page and a chapter and a booklet that we offer online, explains that the altars of stone and clay were systems of social welfare. And you put your offering on those altars, those living stones, because that's what a stone, stones were a gathering of friends, and a clay was a gathering of families. You know, they're, they're just a congregation, they're a free assembly. That's what they call it in the Old Testament, a free assembly. Or the, you know, the congregation of the people. And the Levites served that congregation. They served it through a system of charity. And they did it that way because it's the only way a nation can stay free. If a nation decides to do it through force, it will not stay free. And Polybius said it. Uh, literally, Abraham said it. John the Baptist said it. Jesus said it. Paul said it. The apostles all warned that you would be, again, entangled in the elements of the world, in the elements of the yoke of bondage, if you decided to take from your neighbor by forced offering. So, that's that's really the gospel in, in a nutshell, and we're supposed to be seeking that system of social welfare through charity. And if we refuse to seek that system of social welfare through charity, we're going to go into bondage. Either through sloth, because we are not seeking the kingdom, or through covetous practices, because we are seeking a kingdom of force that will force our neighbors to contribute to our welfare. That's really simple. And, and it's really clear in all the prophets. It's really clear in all the warnings of the apostles. We have articles that just take you through the warnings of the apostles, Paul, you know, the previous program that went on before, they're, they're kind of against Paul, but they have to not understand Paul. I was going to try to listen to what they had to say and incorporate that. Really, the way church should be is to, is to answer questions and and have discussions concerning the gospel of the kingdom. But really, what the church is, is a gathering of men who are supposed to receive the contributions of the people and rightly divide them from house to house so that people can survive famines, floods, and mayhem. And uh, we don't have a lot of that going on right now in the world, but we will. <laughs> we talked a little bit about that in the Micah show this morning. At least I made reference to it. I didn't... I specifically didn't spell out exactly what that would look like. But uh, when we were reading Revelations, we, as a commentary to Micah, we shared a few things that will uh, take place in a roundabout sort of way. You'd have to 
read between the lines. And of course, the reason we don't say everything specifically is because you're really supposed to have the Holy Spirit as your guide. Now, how do you get the Holy Spirit as your guide? You start taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. And one of the things that we mentioned is that, uh, I'll have to come back and look at this. We, we mentioned, uh, was free will offerings. And like I said, I did a lot of work on that page. I haven't, I haven't even read the whole page, but I went back and, and, uh, at preparing you, if you look up free will offering, our offerings should be in plural. And we have a, a page there that talk about that because they do talk about free will offerings in the Old Testament. The word charity does not even appear in the Old Testament or at least in the Old Testament translation. There's several words that you could translate into charity. They just don't do it. They translate it into things like free will offerings and sometimes the same word that they translate free will offerings in one place, they translate offerings in another. But you really should put it as free will offerings because that's the kind of offerings they're talking about. But uh, so it's clear in the book, which contains the instructions for an entire nation, that they would only remain free souls under God. And that was the whole point of coming out of Egypt, to become free souls under God, where you worship the God of heaven, this, this God of creation, rather than the gods many of the world. Now, of course... Everybody out there in the world don't think that they worship the gods many of the world, but in reality they do once you understand that the word worship means serve, obey, or have to obey. I'm not telling anybody not to obey the government. I'm saying you may have to obey the government because you've made covenants with them, contracts with them. You've applied for their benefits and signed up for their schemes. But the schemes that have come to us through through FDR and LBJ and even before that Woodrow Wilson, these are all schemes that are part of the transgression of Jacob. They're all schemes that are meant to steal your birthright, to take away your birthright. I shouldn't say steal, con you out of your birthright. Openly and honestly, they had to say, you know, you give, I'll give you this extra benefit of the food that I have prepared. But you have to sell me your birthright. You have to give up your birthright to me. And of course, that that was the deal with Social Security. That if you signed up for Social Security, which the government didn't owe you a right to any kind of Social Security... But it said if you signed up for it, which means that you're agreeing under penalty of perjury to pay into it. See, like, there there were some people who, who agreed to pay into it, but almost immediately they fell on hard times and they needed Social Security payments, and they got them. Some people signed up and they were almost 60. And so they only paid in for a couple of years, but they got the money right away. Even though they knew that Within a few short years, they would they would become eligible for the benefits, but they didn't have to pay in. But for a few years, and they got the benefits. Now, usually you have to pay in for ten quarters in order to get the benefits, which was ten quarters, still only a few years. And then you will automatically get the benefits. I know somebody who. Uh, was on his 18th birthday and he was in an automobile accident and he 
became eligible for Social Security disability because he was in this automobile accident. It, it, it ended up leading to his destruction because that free check coming in caused him not to have to deal with issues in his own family. And uh, he ended up, you know, actually ended up in jail. Not justly ended up in jail, but he ended up in jail, ended up with gangrene, ended up uh, being crippled even worse than he was already crippled. This is much later in his life when somebody who was actually part of the mafia decided that he wanted that guy's property, which he had inherited from his parents. And because uh, his parents died on his 18th birthday too, when he became paralyzed and was able to get disability. The system was so crooked, the system came back and bit him. And, of course, now it's coming back and biting everybody because everybody's been taking a bite out of one another, which is another thing we see in the New Testament, that you're not to take a bite out of one another, lest ye be devoured. You know, if if you wanted to know if you, you're devoured or not, you can just read the news. I mean, your labor doesn't belong to you. Your land doesn't belong to you. They can take it away. If you don't pay into what they want for just a couple of years, they will take your property away from you. Take your house away. Take it. They will take your house away from widows and orphans. As a matter of fact, they're increasing inheritance tax all over the country, all over the world, actually, so that when you die, your widow and your orphans will have to pay an exorbitant tax, which will often cause them to have to sell their property. That's that's already in existence in many, many states, in many, many countries. But it's going to even be more so. Because they're in the business of robbing widows and orphans. In order to get you all the benefits that you want, at the expense of your neighbor. And that, of course, is where everybody finds themselves today in the bondage of Egypt which we were told Deuteronomy and Leviticus never to return to many of the prophets said the same thing not to return to the bondage of Egypt but we have I mean the New Testament talks about the bondage of Egypt how many how many people realize that they're back in the bondage of Egypt they've returned to the bondage of Egypt and they don't even know it. They they certainly don't want to admit it. But that's exactly what we have done. And we have done it. Because we were willing to take from our neighbor. Take from our brothers. Take our brother's inheritance in order to have the benefits that we want today. That that was our desire. To take those benefits. So how how many places in the Bible does it mention... Bondage in Egypt in the same verse. Well, there's actually at least 11. But now, how many times do they mention bondage? Oh, quite a few times. But of course, you know, you think, well, the bondage of Egypt, that was all in Exodus, right? So, you'll see, coming out of bondage in the, from the house, uh, you know, coming out of Egypt from the house of bondage in uh, Exodus 13, 14. You'll see... Uh, it mentioned again, uh, well, of course, it's mentioned several times in Exodus, but then in Deuteronomy, 
I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Deuteronomy 6.12 He talks about which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt. Egypt actually means bondage. From the house of bondage. Deuteronomy 8.14 Which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt. Out of Egypt and from the house of bondage. What was the bondage again? One-fifth of your labor belonged to the government. You, If you worked the first one-fifth of the year, or whenever you worked one-fifth of the day, the value of that labor went to the government. That is the bondage of Egypt. And, of course, they mention Deuteronomy 13.10. And, of course, uh, even in... Uh, other verses, uh, there's quite a few verses that make reference to the bondage of Egypt. The verses in Deuteronomy 17:16 that tell you what to include in a constitution if you decide to have a ruler who can exercise authority. That's all explained in that Deuteronomy 17:16. And uh, how many people who study the constitution even know what it says there? And why it says what it says. Because there's at least five different items you're supposed to put in the Constitution if you think that uh, you want to have a king or a ruler or a chief executive officer or a commander-in-chief who can exercise authority one over the other. You're supposed to put all five of those items in the, your Constitution. How many people know how many of those five items are in the U.S. Constitution? Only one. You're not to elect a foreigner. Somebody who's not lawfully and legally a part of your own government. You don't want to be uh, electing somebody who isn't a part of that same system of government. If you did, he would probably not want to take the oath of office. He would, he would want to compromise the oath of office somehow or other. And, uh, of course, now we have recordings of every president, probably since Calvin Coolidge, of what oath they took. And we had witnesses there when they took those oaths. And, uh, for the most part, many of them took that oath upon the Bible, not all of them. And, some of them for actually legitimate reasons. I mean, the first, Washington was the one who said that we should take the oath of office on a Bible, and he got a Masonic Bible, because that was the nearest one to him, and he took the oath on the Masonic Bible. Now, some people would not like that, but uh, it it is what it is. And I'm nothing against Washington. I, I wish we had a president with the caliber of George Washington as a human being, as a, a man of values and a man of integrity. But uh, there is one president that we do not have a recording of his oath and what he actually took when he took the official oath, whatever he took as an, an official oath for the presidency. And that's Obama. Obama's oath is not recorded. He screwed it up when they, he was in the public, and so they had to have another oath-taking, or at least they determined they would, which would supersede the previous oath-taking. And so he met 
with the Chief Justice, Roberts at the time, and uh, took a, the oath again as the official oath that he was taking. But they did not bother recording that. <laughs> I guess nobody had a cell phone. Also, they were rather short on witnesses. So, uh, anyway, that was kind of a secret oath. <laughs> so, anyway. Now, does that mean something? Am I, am I talking to you about conspiracies? I'm... I'm just talking about what is. I don't I don't know what he took for an oath. I just know that he took it in secret. And they didn't bother recording. There's recording devices everywhere in the White House. So it's not like there wasn't any but they had to go somewhere where there wasn't gonna be a recording. <laughs> and evidently where nobody had a cell phone who could have recorded it and shared it with the world. It was it was done in secret. Now, what does that mean? I don't know. I just find it interesting anecdote to throw in there. But what I do find important to know is that you're back in the bondage of Egypt. And you're back in that bondage, entangled again in the elements of the world. The, the word world there in that phrase that I'm pulling from the New Testament is constitutional order and system of government. That's the way it's defined in the concordance because it's not the word for inhabited places. It's not the word for age. It's the word for constitutional order or system of government. We have articles up on that that show you that that is the way the word was using, used 700 years before Christ, used at the time of Christ, used at the time of the early church. That's what that Greek word meant. A constitutional order or system of government. And we were not to be like those systems that used authority to collect what they were going to need for the redistribution of wealth in time of need. We weren't to be like them. We were to do it through charity. Modern church doesn't tell you that because they're blind guides. Because... They're not true ministers of Christ. Some of them want to be, but they have not been told. And of course, that's what we talked about this morning in Micah, is that there would be a remnant, but that remnant has to repent. In other words, repenting is not being sorry, although you probably have to be sorry for what you've done. But repentance specifically means changing the way you think. And if you're actually going to listen to Jesus, you're going to have to think that we should be taking care of one another through charity, through those free will offerings. But how many people are doing that? Not very many. They're just not doing it. They're not going the way of Christ. They're not actually following Christ. They're in denial of the gospel of the kingdom. They're not taking care of one another. So, anyway, if anybody does want to ask a question, they can push one, and supposedly I will see it. Oh, I see somebody pushing one. So, somebody wants to ask a question or make a comment. And so, I'll liven up their mic and see what they have to say. I'll be ready to cut their mic off if they start being somebody else, but I think I recognize the number, so I'm not really worried about it. So, we'll see if the computer works. So, theoretically... Uh, you can hear me now, uh, 40005, 
did you have a question or a comment you wanted to make? How you doing? This is Tiffany calling. Okay, it was your number. <laughs> I have to start remembering people by their numbers. <laughs> so what's up? I just had a quick question and uh, just enjoying the uh, the question has to do with uh, the, um, you know, um, being a citizen of the kingdom of God. And I guess I read this somewhere, I think it was in Constitution, uh, the Constitution book you wrote, Co- Covenants and Constitutions. Um, Contracts, Covenants, you know, and Constitutions. Yeah, that one. Um, to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, we need, uh, it says in that book, that we need to be a body or a civitas to form the asylum state. And that would be the city of refuge from, I guess, from... God's adversaries, right? Uh, yeah, the what makes it a city of refuge is that we depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit because the city of refuge that we're talking about isn't like the cities that we talked about this morning on Micah because those cities, you're a member and you're bound in that system as a person. A person is a member. This is why you're not to be respecters of persons because in the kingdom of God, you're an individual. You're not a member in that sense. We actually tried to stray away from the idea of using the term member in relationship to uh, congregations. You're not really a member of a congregation. And, of course, we see uh, verbiage to that effect in the Old Testament where they're referred to as free assemblies. That's really what a congregation in the church is. It's a free assembly. There is no obligation. The reality is uh, that... In the, the kingdom of God, it's simply free assemblies. There, are, there is no compelled taxes. There's only free will offerings. There is redistribution of wealth, but that's through the ministers. Just like in the Old Testament, it was through the Levites. It's supposed to be through the ministers of, of Christ, those that are in compliance with the instructions of Christ. And that redistribution of wealth is done in a way that strengthens the people. It's not forced like it is in socialism or communism. It's done by free will offerings, which is why we have that article on free will offerings, which is basically charity. And we're not actually trying to make rich people poor (laughs) or or, uh, poor people rich uh, because of the fact that they're lazy and so therefore we're going to help them out but it's actually just to help people and learn how to help people in a way that strengthens them so it's not a city toss in the sense that we often use the word but yeah it's it's through a voluntary network uh, of people sitting down voluntarily organizing themselves, not being organized from the top down, but from the bottom up, in free assemblies where they know who they're giving to and they decide how much they're giving to and they can put in, put that they don't like the way that they're managing the funds that they're given or they, and if they don't like it, they can just give to somebody else. See, if you elect somebody to be a president, or a congressman, or a senator, in the legislation systems of the world or parliament as it is in many other countries 
They can start doing stuff you don't like and you have to wait till you can vote them out to change things. And of course there can be election fraud or they can, you know, have a constituency, a democratic constituency that doesn't care. You know, like I'm, I'm just shocked that Maxine Waters keeps getting elected. She, she is such a poor excuse for an individual or a human being. But she keeps getting elected. And there were a lot of other people as I was growing up. I was trying to think of some of the names. I just can't remember them. We knew they were corrupt. We knew they were taking bribes. And they would get elected time and time again. There's several like that today that are in Congress or in the Senate that we know they take bribes. They became millionaires in just a few short years as senators. How do they do that? They didn't write a bestseller book. They're taking bribes. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, what is, uh, the, the, uh, Kate Brown in Oregon, she had, uh, as of last year, a couple of years ago, she had $20 million she received in campaign funds. And she doesn't spend that. She puts that in there and she can withdraw it later on. She has this huge $20 million nest egg. She's still receiving hundreds of thousands of dollars from people like George Soros. And she's not even running for re-election. The first time that she got into office, she wasn't even elected. She was appointed. It's totally rigged game. It's total corruption. And you can't do anything about it. You say, well, vote them out. Well, how do you do that when there isn't honest elections? But in the kingdom of God, oh... You have power because you not only can say, I don't want you as a minister anymore. I don't like the way you're handling the funds or I don't like the way you're treating people or I don't like the fact that you're molesting children, <laughs> whatever it is that you're doing wrong. You can just say, you're not my minister anymore because you're the one that's in charge. This is why in the Whitecliffe Bible they said that we were the government of the people for the people and by the people. And that was what the Bible was to teach us how to do, is to be that government of and for and by the people. Because it showed you how to organize you. If we were, if everybody who was a Christian or claims to be a Christian today, everybody who had these altar calls and said they accepted Jesus in their heart as their personal Savior, were actually following the directives of Jesus, actually doing what he said and what he commanded, this, these COVID sh- shutdowns could have never taken place. Millions upon millions of people who have been vaccinated with an experimental drug that is probably going to cause all kinds of harm down the road and is, does not give you any kind of immunity, that would have never taken place amongst real Christians for several reasons. They would have been awakened to it and their ministers would have been awakened to it because by laying down your life daily for one another, by casting your bread upon the waters in hopes that it will come back to you instead of you know, forcing your neighbor to contribute so that you can collect entitlements, will alter your mind. If you decide to go the way of force, fear, and fealty, that will alter your mind. And according to Polybius, it will make you perfect savages. According to Peter, it will make you merchandise. According to Peter, it will curse your children. But if you go the way of Christ, which is the way of charity, organizing yourselves, not as persons, 
but as individuals. This is why I say there's this difference between the civitas of the kingdom and the civitas of the world. Now, uh, I can I can take this even farther, and I I will take it up with the ministers on the minister call, and uh, that, I think that's the best way to handle it because you don't want to just put this stuff out over the airways. The ordained ministers of the church are a civitas, but they're a civitas that do not exercise authority over the free assemblies of the congregations of the people because. The people have to remain free. That's that's the whole point of Christ was to return every man to his possession, every man to his family, to to create a system that, whereby the freedom of the individual was sacrosanct. You could not touch that, and the ordained ministers of the church represent a civitas of servants of the people. We serve the people. You. You pick us. You choose what you want to give to us. You choose who you want to give to. And even when you gather together, you're just altars of clay. The congregations are altars of clay. If you read our our pamphlet on sophistry, or I think it's the second chapter of the book, Thy Kingdom Come, all free online, you will see that the altars of clay are simply assemblies of the people. They're not baked together like bricks. They're not bound together as persons, as members. Once you become a member, you can become collateral for debt. Once you become a member, you become subject to the rules of that membership. So you're not really members of a congregation except in the most loosely formed interpretation of the word. And that's why we like to refer to, you know, core groups, which we call congregations of record. The record is for the minister so he knows who he's supposed to serve. And because that's one of the things that we explain this in a lot of other places where uh, you had these, uh, they were to take count of the people that they serve. Because the kingdom of God is like the buddy system times ten where you provide for the needs of the people and you got ten families who come together. They pick a minister. That minister gets together with ten other ministers like himself. They pick a minister. And this eventually will connect tens, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people through a network of charity, which is a network of love. And if you're not seeking that, you're not really seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In order to seek that righteousness of such a network, you have to depend entirely on free will offerings that are the choice of the individual. So anyway, what we're this is the way we need to see how it works and how it functions in the world today as a civitas is that way. And like I said, I will discuss with the ministers. We have a minister call on Monday. I will discuss with them if they bring up the question exactly how uh that uh civitas works and uh they can inform you uh you know whoever's out there listening if you want to know the answer to that exactly how that civitas works 
you just ask your minister, and your minister will ask me, and I'll explain it. We actually have it explained already, uh, but, you know, just like the Bible writes a lot of things cryptically so that people won't change it because they can read it and there can be two interpretations. They can have an interpretation that that misleads the people, but if they have the Spirit of Christ in them, when they read it, they'll say, oh, yeah, I get it. And what I do a lot with a lot of the facts that I share with people, I'm not trying to be a substitute for the Holy Spirit. I'm not a comforter like most of these preachers out there. They try to become comforters to the people. Tickle their ears is what they're doing. I'm not a comforter. I'm going to tell you the truth. Because I know the comforter is supposed to be the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit will show you the truth. All I'm doing is bearing witness to what many of you already know in your heart and in your mind because you heard the still small voice, the whisperings of the Holy Spirit. I'm just giving you a second witness. Remember, we establish everything by two or more witnesses. And so the Holy Spirit is witnessing in your heart that something wrong, something rotten in Denmark... Something, you know, that's an old saying, but something's wrong in the systems of the day that is destroying us. I mean, it's going to turn us into daylight rioters. That's what it, it tells us. One of the things that I added to the the website, actually I, I had it in several places, but I've made it so it's connected in more places now, was this uh, idea of, of what uh, Polybius said. Because I came across another translation of Polybius. It, it was translated before 1906, but it wasn't made available, uh, to everybody until 2013. So it's actually fairly recent, that translation of Polybius. And while I, I love the original translations that are more commonly available, this second one is actually pretty good. And it, it, and I know why they translated it a little bit differently. And this is the way it is when, you know, this is why we say translators are traitors. <laughs> and it's hard not to be. It's very hard to translate things from one language to the next and get all the nuances and uh, the meanings in there because there isn't always words in both languages that mean exactly the same. So there is some arbitration. And then couple that with the King James translations or any of the other translations and what the pastors are telling people, then we know that there is a serious, serious uh, problem with what people are thinking the gospel of the kingdom is all about. And so anyway, in on the page uh, of Polybius, I have in the footnotes now, that secondary translation, and I actually created another page where you can go and find that translation by Evelyn Shirley Schuckberg, uh, who died back in 1906, like I said. But they were a scholarly translator. Uh, Evelyn Shirley is a, actually a guy. Evelyn can be a guy name and a uh, a woman's name, and for some reason they gave him the middle name Shirley, and I noticed that his sons, because I study these people, don't just study their translations and their writings, but I want to kind of see and know who they are and where they came from, but he had a tendency to give his 
son's names, where their middle name could also be construed as a female name. But he, he was a regular guy, and a pretty sharp guy, and a pretty sharp translator. And no political agenda, because we're dealing with, you know, he passed away in 1906, so we didn't really start going the socialist route until around 1910. And then 1913, those are the key dates, 1933. You know, I, I can give you all kinds of key dates, 1957, um, oh, back to 1909. You know, the Children's uh, Registration Act uh, that uh, passed in different things. But this translate, this alternative translation is... Uh, of Polybius, it says, For no sooner had the knowledge of jealousy and hatred existing in the citizens against them, which is replaced by democracy, emboldened some, one to oppose the government by word or deed, then he was sure to find the whole people ready and prepared to take his side. Having then got rid of these rulers by assassination or exile, uh, they do not venture to set up a king again, being still in terror of the injustices of which this led before. And of course, in America, we got rid of the king, and people were willing to do that because the king was usurping, because of the unwarranted usurpations of the king. He was usurping the authority in America that he did not have, that he did have other places, but did not have in America. And this was actually argued in Parliament. And in some of our books, we show you these arguments made in Parliament that the king was imposing rules in the American colonies that he had no right to impose in the American colonies. He could impose them in Australia. He could impose them in uh, England. He could probably impose them even in Canada. But he could not impose them in America because of the unique history. And we explained some of that. Now again, most of the books that I've written, I could have made them 700, 800 page books. But I reduced them down to get the main thing. So I don't have all the evidence that is available. But I put some of the most pertinent evidence in there. But if you don't read footnotes, you probably won't see that. But this pattern of history where people throw off the kings. I mean, that's what Rome did. They threw out the Tarquinian kings and established a republic. They actually fashioned their republic much after that republic that preceded them, which was Israel. Israel was originally a republic. That's what Moses set up, a republic. Closer to a libera res publica than almost any other nation. At the beginning... But then over the years, they began to change that. The Sanhedrin eventually developed legislative powers, and they chose to have a king. God knew that they might do that, which is why he wrote that Deuteronomy 17.16, that people might try to have a king. And he says, well, you better limit his power, which is what a constitution like that would do, and it's like the American Constitution, was to limit the power of government. It was not to grant rights to the people. They had inalienable rights. Now, you can lose inalienable rights. They still exist. You just don't have access to it. Like, for instance, if you rob somebody and don't pay them back, 
and give them recompense, you could go to jail. <laughs> you could be locked up. You still have your right to roam about the world like you did before, but you're behind bars. <laughs> so your world has shrunk down to the size of the cell in which they put you because you're you're a threat to society. Now, they could deport you to Australia or someplace, but, uh, which is another thing, and say, if you come back, like in the uh, book Great Expectations, you will forfeit everything you have. <laughs> You're still in the British Empire, but you have to stay in Australia. You cannot come back to England. If you come back to England, the British Empire will take away everything you have. So that's the way they kind of imprison you in a place like Australia. So, you have those rights, but you can't come back here. Well, now the whole world is in such a system. So there's no place for you to go. There's no place to stand. So you mentioned uh, the asylum state. And I first heard that term from judges in courts, dealing with people who are trying to get out of the system. And uh, it's a very fascinating case. And I probably have a recording somewhere that explains the case in a little bit more detail involved people like John Joseph and Randy Quaid I think it is and uh, uh, not Randy Dorman I can't even remember his last name <laughs> but, but it was Randy I'm just bad at names but anyway uh, they were in court with a, another party a third party so to speak and uh, and the judge offered to release him to the asylum state and the word asylum scared him <laughs> You mean like a mental institution? And the judge wasn't going to explain himself. But had the guy said yes, he could have released him to the asylum state. And uh, the problem is, is where is the asylum state? We had a case that uh, it wasn't wasn't people in our congregation. It was somebody else I know who was trying to figure out this. I've been on this trail for a long time. Go back... 50, 60 years. And uh, they were dealing with somebody who who wanted to sue for divorce. And, uh, and the church, people that he went to, said, don't sue for divorce. Uh, let's have negotiations first. You know, uh, counseling first. And the guy agreed to it. And he, they wrote down a contract, just like all the contracts you've signed since you were a little kid and your parents signed since they first got old enough to sign anything and your grandparents signed, you know, back in those days, like 1909, 1910, 1913, you're making agreements that you're held to to, the, to to this day. But anyway, he agreed that he wouldn't sue for divorce until they had counseling and church arbitration. Well, then he reneged on that and decided to sue for divorce anyway in a no-fault state. And he sued his wife for a divorce, and she contested it. And so, it's a no-fault state, so he's just going to get the divorce. The court's going to hear the case, and he's got, they're going to grant the divorce. But the reality is the the court threw the case out, because the minister brought in a contract between the husband and the wife that they would have arbitration and counseling before they sued for divorce. That contract superseded the contract with the state, which was their marriage license. 
So the court would not even hear the case. But before they agreed not to hear the case and threw the case out, they say, do you have a church that provides counsel and arbitration? And the answer was yes. Now, the church that the individual was talking about did not really meet the criteria of Christ. This was years ago, and they were trying to figure out what the criteria of Christ was, as I was trying to figure it out, too, by going back and studying the Greek and Hebrew. But they had the power over the court because they had an agreement, not between them and the church, but between them and them, between themselves. They had agreed to that. And, of course, those who are studying to be ministers of Christ Church, we share that information with them. So, again, if people want to know exactly how all that works, they need to gather together in congregations, ask their minister to find out. The minister will gather as we gather in the tens, hundreds, of thousands. And those that are already ordained ministers of the church will share that information with them. But we won't put it out over the radio. Just as Christ warned us that we were not to cast pearls out where we might be rented under, where that might be used, that information might be used against us. We don't want to share all that, but we will share it when the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Christ would not even share loaves and fishes until the people sat down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. So, when the famines start coming, when the runaway inflation starts coming, people need to already be in congregations of tens, hundreds, and thousands if they expect to get assistance. Now, we assist a lot of people that are not in congregations now. But as the need grows, just because humanly possible, we're going to have to focus on those that sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. But anyway, let me read a little bit more of this alternate translation. If you want to see all this, you just go to preparingyou.com and go to uh, uh, Polybius. Look up the word Polybius. uh, (laughs) P-O-L-Y-B-I-U-S. And in the footnotes, I have this alternate translation. In the regular page, I have the earlier translation. It's not actually an earlier translation. It's the more common one. Because like I said, this translation was actually earlier But it wasn't released until 2013. So anyway, they go on to say, For the mob, habituated to feed at the expense of others and to have its hopes of a livelihood in the property of its neighbors, as soon as it has got a leader sufficiently ambitious and daring, being excluded by poverty from the sweets of civil honors produces a reign of mere violence. Then comes tumultuous assemblies, massacres, banishments, redivisions of land until after losing all traces of what he translates as civilization, It has once more found a master and a despot. Now, you can read the other translation that we have available, but, uh, if you, we, I created a page of Stuckberg so that a person can go there and, uh, 
and see what uh, some of the other things, because I actually have a link there to that original translation where you can read the entire book of Polybius, if, you know, what we have of the original manuscripts. But uh, there was another uh, quote that I, I found interesting in going down and reading this translation. I found it there early this morning, or at least I created this page early this morning. But he says, uh, the intrigue... Oh, I guess we're out of time. We've already reached the end of our program. I guess you'll just have to go and read it for yourselves. <laughs> but, but uh, so anyway... Um, Thanks, Tiffany, for that question. I see the other people. Nobody else uh, raised their hand, so I didn't call on anybody else. But uh, join us at preparingyou.com and join the network. There's network links there or at hisholychurch.org. Until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. Thanks, everybody, for showing up. Thanks for the question. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.